Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. Joining myself and Toby today is uh, Jennifer Quint, Professor of Respiratory Epidemiology at the National Heart and Lung Institute and Honorary Consultant Physician in Respiratory Medicine at the Royal Brompton and Imperial College NHS Foundation Trust. So welcome, Jenny. Uh, Really delighted to have you on our AMX FICA podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me. Pleasure. So uh, most important question that we will start off with uh, people who join our podcast um, is Fika is obviously coffee and a cake with friends. Um, what's your preference, your coffee or tea? And what's your favourite cake? So I'm I'm very particular about this, actually. So it's coffee okay. before 12 and yep. tea in the afternoon. Okay, yeah. Cake, cake varies depending upon the time of year. And uh, this time of year, I would definitely be a carrot cake person. Good choice. I think that's the top choice actually at the moment. That's, that's sort of le- the leaderboard at the moment. The carrot cake is the healthy option. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. No, lovely to have you join us. And what, what was you saying for our listeners? Just a bit of a bit of an outline. Um, so for our listeners, uh, Professor Quint's research interest um, uh, centre on basically the use of electronic uh, health records to study chronic pulmonary pulmonary disease (COPD) and other chronic respiratory diseases, including asthma. And is it ILD? Yeah. Yep. And bronchitis, is it? Or I'm not spelled that, said that right, have I? Bronchiectasis. Bronchiectasis, there you go. Thank you very much. And also you're the lead uh, clinical epidemiology research group, is that right? You're the lead for that group? Yeah. Yes, yes, I run a research group who use lots of different sources of de-identified, routinely collected data to Brilliant. study various aspects of respiratory disease. Fantastic. And also you have a big focus there on maximising the linkage and quality of days that you're doing. And you're still, I believe, as a practising clinician? Yep. I do, yes. I still do one day a week of, of clinical work, which I would miss terribly if I didn't do it. <laughs> it's the, the highlight of my week. Fantastic. So, Jenny, really, really great to have you on board. And I just sort of think when we spoke last, it'd be really great to, for our listeners if you're able to sort of share with us you know, your career today. And anybody, I think any advice you could able to share to anyone who's not medical or non-medical starting their career in health and, and care today, it'd be good to hear about kind of your journey today. So I've had uh, quite a bizarre journey, I think. Um, and I always think it's important to be unique. Uh, so I, I tend to try and stand out a little bit from the crowd. I actually always wanted to be an astronaut and was told that my physics wasn't good enough. And then there were lots of doctors going into space. So I thought, well, I'll go to medical school then. <laughs> Needless to say, I've not made it into space. <laughs> but I've nonetheless loved uh, having gone to, to medical school. Whilst I was in medical school, I did uh, an intercalated BSc. And then I uh, did a PhD as part of my respiratory training. And I loved the research side of things. But it became very apparent quite quickly that I really wasn't as good as the basic scientists in the lab. That wasn't what I'd been been trained to do. I knew that I always wanted to have a translational patient focus aspect to the work that I did. But I did love the research. So I ended up um, getting really lucky, actually, and getting a postdoctoral fellowship uh, from the MRC, which paid for me to do um, an MSc in epidemiology at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. 
uh, as the first year of my postdoc. And I absolutely loved epidemiology. So for once, you could actually submit papers and not be told that your numbers were too small and you were underpowered. Um, but of course, what I didn't appreciate when I started doing that kind of work is some of the nuances um, and the importance around coding and, and data. And that's what I've gotten particularly uh, excited about as, as years have gone by. Brilliant. Great. And when we spoke to what you mentioned, you know, obviously um, you're passionate about you know, getting uh, data embedded into medical students, into their brains from the outset and the importance of that. And also you mentioned, I think when we spoke about the importance of highlighting sort of you know, coding discharge in um, routines sort or of discharge summaries. I think you mentioned as well, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Are you able to share with our listeners any examples where you think sort of coding lists had a, quite a serious impact on research and analytics and insights? Yeah, absolutely. So I think coding is absolutely fundamental and data is absolutely fundamental to what we do as doctors. And yeah. I don't think we often um, appreciate that as much as we we should really. I, I remember a, a couple of years ago um, being at a, at a meeting and somebody, we were organising a, a symposium for um, the British Thoracic Society and, and somebody said, oh, we should, we should um, have somebody come and talk about data. And, and the person chairing the uh, meeting at the time puts his head in his hands and he says, oh, no, 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 only really boring computer geeks talk about data. And everybody in the room started laughing because they knew exactly what I did and, and how excitable I get about this sort of thing. And, and he didn't, he does now, but uh, didn't at the time uh, appreciate that. And I think there is this fundamental misconception that everything to do with data is, is dull and boring. Um, and it's really not. It is the bread and butter of decision making and the way in which we communicate with each other uh, across the, the medical profession. Well, thanks for that. And uh, just saying as well that and nicely sort of following on from there, uh, and you said about, you know, data obviously being the bread and butter as well. And there's enormous sort of uh, issues around communication. When we spoke last as well that, you know, the lack of communication, and you, I think you mentioned up about the sort of the, the challenge around coding and the coding challenge and the importance of uh, improving communication between healthcare professionals such as yourself and analysts. Do you have any examples where you, you've sort of seen that work well and, and improve? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I can think of examples on a on a research side where, mm -hmm. you know, coding can lead to, to erroneous um, results if people don't necessarily pick out uh, the correct the correct codes um, that they want to use for, for a particular piece of work. Um, in terms of clinically, that information is essential. If you think about the discharge summaries, for example, that we write from hospitals and what we write um, when we write in the notes then gets coded by people, um, you know, in the in the coding department, um, ends up in hospital episode statistics or, or SUS data, which of course NHS England, et cetera, use. Um, and equally, gets coded then on the discharge summary as to what gets communicated back to, to primary care. And if we're all not all joined up and thinking the same things, then you can, you know, play a bit of a game of, of whispers where things don't quite, uh, you know, end up um, meaning the same thing to, to the same people. And you end up with, um, you know, with things that aren't entirely as accurate as they could be. And you mentioned as well, I think there was, there was some sort of audits that you've done before where you've, you've done some examples, I think, was in some of the research you're currently doing that you've shown the outcomes can be different depending on what the groupings. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, we did a, a piece of work a couple of years ago, actually, um, with Public Health England, where we were looking at prevalence of COPD and prevalence of, of asthma. And we found that actually if you if you used um, the quality and outcomes framework codes to identify the diseases, we came out with very different results to if we used a much more smaller and specific set of, of codes looking for those particular diseases. So uh, absolutely, things can fundamentally change depending upon um, how you're looking at things within the data sets. 
Thank you for that. Um, so that leads me on to my next question, uh, and that's around linked data sets. And as we move forward, we're beginning to see the benefits of having data sets linked to each other. Um, it provides smarter insights and it's likely going to play a much bigger role in the type of work you currently do. Um, so just wanted to get your take on that and what the challenges are in trying to sort of get to that place and whether you think it's likely to get easier moving forward. So it's a, it's a really important question actually and I think what I find quite frustrating is I think the UK has some of the best data sets in the world and technically linkage of these things is possible but often it's around governance and sometimes just a bit of red tape and bureaucracy that it's difficult to get things linked together. I can remember having a grant a, a couple of years ago um, awarded where it took two and a half years to, to link an audit data set with primary care data set which technically could be done in a very short period of time but it was just a, a lot of, of, of form filling and, and governance which I, I'm not saying isn't important but I think can be streamlined uh, in a way that would allow access to, to these data sets um, to make it a, a little bit easier. I mean, I, I think if you wanted to find a, a silver lining in anything, if we think about COVID, for example, one of the fantastic things that's come out of this past year is is getting rid of some of that, that red tape and the, um, the ability to link data sets a, a little bit easier and the appreciation too um, that data is so fundamentally important. It's, it's really brought data to the fore. Um, and and I, I laugh because I never knew that there were so many respiratory epidemiologists within the UK who all come out of the woodwork um, off the back of, of COVID. So it's, you know, it's just been been really lovely to see the field move forward uh, so quickly in such a short period of time. I think you raise a very important point there. Um, and I think without COVID, I suspect the true value of data may have not been realised as quickly as it has and um, because of that, as, you, as you've said, um, we're likely to see a significant reduction in red tape around accessing, linking and making use of these data sets. I hope so. I hope, I hope all the good work that's been done isn't undone um, once, uh, once this all uh, comes to pass. Yes. Thank you, Professor Jennifer. And generally, finally, uh, you know, you mentioned um, you, you're working on, on quite a number of projects. Uh, is there anything that you're able to share with the current work that you're currently doing with your share with our listeners? Yeah, so um, involved in quite a few bits and pieces at the at the moment. Um, a lot of work um, being done uh, around the HDR UK um, Breathe Hub uh, that I am Deputy Director of the Disease uh, Shake leads. Um, we're doing quite a bit of, of work um, that I'm leading on there around coding um, and around helping the HDR UK phenomics work stream to think about how we best identify uh, cohorts of individuals from routine data sources um, so that we can just really try and stop some of the um, multiple different definitions um, that exist that lead to to different results and in terms of pieces of work being done help people who are, are newer to using data to be able to to take something off a shelf and, and tweak as opposed to needing to to learn lots of things from from scratch to be able to, to bring them up to speed to, to do this sort of work so we, we've been starting with some main um some of the main respiratory diseases um and they're all there in the the public domain and we're just in the process now of writing up a, a paper on how we go about um deriving code lists when we're tackling particular projects um, so that people can know that there's you know an important system and, and, and learning in place that uh, that's advisable to, to follow. 
And where can people uh, find out about that? Is it available for listeners? Yes, so there's a there's a um, phenomics portal website. There's also a Breathe website. So if you type into Google HDR UK Breathe, um, our websites um, uh, will come up. Um, And similarly, the HDR UK Gateway or phenomics portal. Um, And again, some of that coding will come up for respiratory disease as well. Fantastic. And finally, do you have do you have a Twitter handle we can sort of link into? Um, I do. So yeah. my research group tweet uh, yeah. <laughs> on my behalf, and that's at um, Resp Epi. Fantastic. Brilliant. That's great. And finally, Jennifer, I mean, what do you do outside of, you know, it sounds like a very, very busy uh, clinical job and also a research job that you have there. What do you do outside of both of those to sort of relax and unwind? Uh, so uh, I love this question because, quite frankly, I have absolutely no idea what it is to relax. <laughs> I'm a wife and a mother <laughs> and yeah. I work full time. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and yeah, I, I just go at 100 miles an hour all the time, but I wouldn't want it any differently. <laughs> Fantastic. No, thanks for share, sharing your insights with us. It's amazing you know, for the ambitions that you have from an astronaut, then you know, moving through to changing your role and looking into data, which is still you know astronaut and otherwise. You still need data to, to be able to... To, to get to the moon and uh yeah no th- thanks for, for sharing your insights and um key messages that come through i think f- from speaking to yourself is you know the importance of actually improving communication and you know getting out there and meeting with your coders and, and asking more about the data the inputs and then just all linking into sort of seeing some of that other work you're doing around the coding piece as well but no really thanks for, for joining us it's great to have you on board oh my pleasure thanks very much for inviting me So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, Look forward to seeing you in the future.